What is up, podcast listeners? Yep, we're back, and I'm hanging out with Chris Zingo on another great episode of the Matt Baxter Show. Chris just delivers such amazing uh, content, attitude, perspective on the show. Chris has a background in sales. Chris has a background in actually doing the right thing for customers and actually helping deliver value to the customers, not just by selling something, but actually helping understand what the customer bought. And he dives into a lot of different stuff around the fintech world, around uh, lending, around uh, corporate banking, around investment banking, and all around. I just love, love, love this podcast because it helps people understand like what it actually takes to... When people say, like I care about my customers, not everybody means that. And Chris, when he speaks, he means that. And so Chris, I hope... Um, People follow along to the content that you're putting out. People follow along the work that you're doing. People reach out to you to business with you. And all around, I hope everybody enjoyed this episode just as much as I did. Chris, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thank you for having me. So uh, where in the world are you recording from? Uh, Miami, Florida. I love it. I love it. I uh, enjoy getting down in Miami. I live in Michigan. And so it's a rare time of year that it's actually beautiful up here. But during uh, during the December, January, February months, I definitely frequent Miami every once in a while. So can I call you a snowbird? I, I, I'm not like formally, like I don't have the two places. I'm not retired yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. As, as a local, do we enjoy the snowbirds? Do you hate them? Walk me through that. Well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a recent resident. I've, I've been here for two years. I've always okay. been New York City. I've always worked out of New York City. I did a stint in San Francisco for three years, uh, but I've always been New York metro area. So I'm a native of Miami for two years, but uh, really enjoying it down here. Yeah, it's not not too bad. I actually, uh, uh, real quick side tangent, we'll get into it. Um, I experienced Art Basel uh, for the first time down there uh, in mid-December. That was a wild experience. Uh, Definitely an interesting, fascinating, good people watching, uh, but that was fun to be down there for that. Absolutely. I'm surprised I didn't run into you. <laughs> well, maybe maybe next year. But um, Chris, we've got a lot we're going to talk about. I'm really excited. But would you mind just kind of sharing your, your, you know, your background, obviously, what led up to where you're at today? I'm, you can go as far back as you'd like. You can go uh, just career focused, but would love just to hear a little bit more about you and kind of what led, led up to what you're doing today. Okay. Um, high level, I, I essentially am um, an executive in a fintech organization. I've been in financial services technology for the last 25 years. Um, starting early on in my career, um, working at Bloomberg, um, spending the first 12 and a half years of my career at the large data and enterprise platform companies like Bloomberg and Thomson Reuters, and then the second, say, 12 to 15 years working uh, on value creation strategies with private equity firms. Um, and, and working with the companies that they acquired to accelerate growth and drive market value and exit um, in terms of liquidity. So a pretty diverse experience in financial services over the last 25 years. I will say, though, in, in, in the context of, you know, what gets me up and purpose driven, I know that's a common theme. But um, prior to me joining my actual career, um, I did play a quick stint for two years in the Canadian Football League. And in the offseason and then post-grad, post-leaving the Canadian Football League, I was a high school teacher in Connecticut. Um, <laughs> I taught chemistry and biology for a year in an inner city school, having my own curriculum. Um, and then got my certification. That's what I thought I wanted to do with my life. 
Um, and that is a common thread in everything that I've done because really what gets me up in the morning is the opportunity to share knowledge, um, you know, to work through problems, to identify and create value where value might not have been fully transparent, those types of things, watching people, empowering them to succeed. All of those elements have kind of driven uh, what I've done in the last 25 years. But I just wanted to throw that out. I no, I love it. And uh, we're, we're going to we're going to we're going to double click on a couple education based questions and football questions. Then we'll get into sort of fintech and financial service conversations. But first one. So, uh, you know, being a pro athlete, which is amazing. Um, were you uh, was was your attitude go as far as you can as far as status of league? Was it to be the best player you possibly could at your current level? What was sort of your mentality um, as you know, obviously you got into the pro level in the Canadian league, which is amazing. Walk me through kind of where you, where you're at with that. Well, I think the ultimate mentality is the, is to be the best player I can be. Uh, my biggest comp competitor or the biggest competition that I've faced in my life was myself. Hmm. Uh, you know, so every day thinking about how can I get better? Um, and one of the things that I realized in athletics is you really play how you practice, you know, and, and the practice really di dictates. How are you going to play? So when I look back in my career, I probably knew exactly how I was going to play on that Saturday or Sunday uh, well in advance, uh, whether or not I admitted it, uh, but based on the rigor of the investment and the work that I put in the beginning. And I don't care how talented you are. Um, that level of investment and putting in the work is, is a common denominator. And it's really a common thread that separates most people, because in this world, most of the people we interface with are smart and very competent, should be in the jobs that they are. But the difference maker is the people that invest and do the work and step out of their comfort zone on a daily basis and uh, acquire knowledge at an accelerated pace. So real quick, give me give me a connection of timeline. Uh, did you play pro football and then you became a teacher, or teacher first, and then, you know, continued your football career? What, which, which one? In the second season, my off season, I was asked to come into high school, Harding High School in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, my mother was actually a teacher there for 30 years, and I knew the principal, and he knew I was home. Uh, I recently graduated from Cornell University. Good for her, by the way, uh, teaching for 30 years. She has probably so much patience, and uh, that, that good for her. Thankful for her. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's, it's challenging because they had a revolving door of teachers, and they had some gaps. And uh, the principal called me up, knew I was home, and he said, listen, we need, we need you for six months. I said, I'm not an accredited teacher. He said, well, we'll... We'll figure that out in parallel. Stage <laughs> you. Yeah. Uh, I did it. Um, and then I went back and played. And then when I left my second season, I went back and they hired me full time for a year to have my own curriculum. Um, and that's when I thought that that's what I was going to do. Shortly after that, um, I met um, someone. I moved to New York City and then I met someone who was working at Bloomberg and I ended up working for Bloomberg. Um, but a lot of the principles that I learned teaching um, really carried through into the work I was doing at Bloomberg um, and really helped me stand out in, in ways that most people didn't have because of the perspectives I had teaching. I thought it was a good fundamental uh, starting point in my life. So a, uh, go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. No, no, no go ahead. Well, I was about to say for a for, um, uh, little fun fact, I think I'm the first uh, non-Dr. Baxter on my dad's side of the family come from a very medical uh, background and I decided to go into business. So you can understand why I can empathize of why you left teaching chemistry in particular. But 
what would you say like parts of teaching that you, you, you truly miss today? Obviously you're doing some amazing stuff now and can't wait to get into that, but what would be, you know, maybe a, a snippet or two that you miss about it? Well, in, in teaching, for example, teaching chemistry in an inner, inner city school to, um, you know, 16, 17 year old kids, it's a very esoteric subject and capturing their attention uh, for an hour and getting them invested in their own success is not the easiest thing in the world to do, right? It's very difficult to kind of link a subject like chemistry to something that's relevant in what they do on a daily basis. So you really had to get creative. Uh, you really had to understand the motivations of your audience. Uh, and you really had to actually entertain um, because that entertainment kind of breaks down a lot of the barriers of learning. And when people have fun, they actually learn uh, at a much quicker pace. So elements of that, how do you connect what you do and make it relevant to the audience is a general theme that carried with me through the rest of my career. Um, mm. Also watching people be empowered with information. I mean, I think people, when they acquire knowledge and they feel confident in their abilities and they perform well, um, it changes everything. It lifts everything. Um, they become a different person and watching kids kind of grow like that is something that, that touched me, but also was a big motivating factor in my career because whether it's a, a student or whether it's someone you're working with, a peer, or whether it's an employee that works for you, you know, that general theme carries with you for a long time. Mm, that's special. That's good stuff. So, um, sort of a, a transition from teaching jumped into work with Bloomberg. You mentioned um, sort of big data firms, uh, and this was early on in your career. So specific, and this is more just scratching an itch of my own curiosity, like uh, what would be the difference of big data back then versus big data 10 years ago versus big data today? I mean, that's certainly become probably a buzzword among venture capitalists throughout the last couple of decades, maybe, maybe then too, but would love your perspective on what, what, what did big data mean then and how is that different than today? Well, I think it evolved, right? And I think it's a function of the technology and what you can do with the data. You know, I think today the difference is just the exponential increase in volume of data that we're faced with, that, that we consume based on digitalization. The volume is just exponentially greater. Also what you can do with the data in terms of what the technology enables in terms of um, artificial intelligence, uh, automation and things like that. Um, so it's, it's kind of apples and oranges hmm. uh, in what, you know, kind of the, data element um, of financial services or fintech is today versus what it was 25 years ago. Another element is 25 years ago, there were, there were very specific companies that specialized in data, right? And they acquired data and they redistributed it. I think today, um, every single one of our clients you know, um, originates massive volumes of data on a daily basis. So the opportunity there is helping them harness um, the data that they capture in milliseconds um, and use that data to actually drive more value internally as well as externally for their customers. So it's a very different game today versus 20 years ago because very few organizations had access to a disproportionate amount of the data that was relevant. Today, data is more ubiquitous. It's more how to harness it and utilize it. I love it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um, and that's, I think, a perfect transition of kind of before the show, we were talking a little bit about uh, the impact of fintech and financial services and, and sort of the broader what you can do. So uh, kind of two part question. Well, let's let's start here. So 
with your current company now, walk through kind of what you guys provide, how you guys add value. And then obviously I want to double click on a couple of questions related to that. But let's start for, for audience members that have no idea who you guys are. would love just a, a little high level background. All right. So the company's Finastra. Um, we're technically the largest fintech company in the world with respect to annual software revenue. We service 8,000 institutions across 133 different countries. Um, we provide end-to-end banking applications to serve virtually every aspect of banking. If you look at what in financial institutions do or banks do, they essentially do five things. They lend capital. Um, they intermediate transactions uh, in terms of transactional banking business. They uh, take principal risk on behalf of their customers in the form of global markets. They manage their internal risk and regulatory exposures, and they have a retail customer base um, where they take core deposits and savings and things like that. So if you look at that as banking, if you look at everything a bank has to do to onboard a customer, to originate transaction, to process them and service them, you know, our application ecosystem spans pretty much that entire spectrum end to end. Um, now, we serve the largest of the large, like the Wells Fargo's, the cities, the JP Morgan's, Bank of America, as well as the smallest of the small, you know, to a community bank that has one jurisdiction in a municipality and one branch. And we do a lot of that on the cloud. So we have the ability to scale up and down and which and that gives us a broad perspective of our markets. And we're able to harness this perspective of our markets to drive innovation at a pace that our, our competitors struggle with. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the one of the things obviously you highlighted uh, while sort of the, the joys you got from teaching was seeing somebody, you know, grow and learn and take on information. And obviously, uh, congratulations for being a part of that large of, a, of an organization and the broader value serve. And obviously, you guys are doing a remarkable job at turning capital into more capital and helping efficiencies related to that. But what would be sort of the uh, unknown or sort of things that you wouldn't necessarily pick up on are the broader impact of some of the businesses that you guys, or some of the impact that you guys can do through the business that you guys offer? What would be, um, we were talking a little bit about how uh, you guys can can deliver an offering that allows people to lend at a cheaper rate. Things, things like that that would allow people to have basically all around better value in their life that you guys provide that would be above and beyond just, hey, you can help me make more money sort of thing. No, absolutely. So I think the um, one of the opportunities we have is um, is lifting some of the major constraints that uh, our clients, our markets, and their clients have faced in financial services, which was access to financial services in the form of either capital, uh, low cost payments, um, you know, security services, and things like that. Um, the cost associated with the consumption of technology, uh, servicing uh, an end user if you're a bank, really limits the available pool of customers that are eligible to either um, provide, to receive services from a bank like loans uh, and or security services and or payments. Technology, if you look at what happened in the last five, six years, and the, the pace of technology innovation on the cloud has basically broken down a lot of those barriers. It's allowed financial institutions to think very differently in the way they service their customers and at the cost at which they service them. So if you look at our mission, our primary mission is we call doing well by doing good. Our job is to help our customers extend capital to the leaf nodes of our society. By lowering the cost of technology, 
by helping them connect to the broader ecosystem of their clients that allow them to serve their clients well and lower cost, we're able to unlock capital and empower communities that historically have not been able to benefit from financial services in the form of loans and things like that. So that drives a big portion of what we do on a daily basis. I love that. I love that. So um, in, in your role, obviously, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, what is sort of a, a day in the life, which I'm sure there's no two day in the lives um, for, for, for as much as you have going on, but what would be like something that you are constantly working on, focused on thinking about uh, to obviously continuously drive this value in the mission that you offer? Well, a lot of what we think about is um, the unknowns of tomorrow. If you look at, again, the pace of technology innovation, uh, what our clients are struggling with today are not the problems of today, but what the problems of tomorrow are going to be and how quickly those problems or opportunities are going to encroach. Um, if you look at you know, the changes that are happening in our clients' market. Um, so those challenges create opportunity for providers like us because it really requires more of a collaborative approach in the way we engage our customers. And the fact that we see a majority of the market gives us access to unique insights so our core mission is to educate our customers about what we're seeing in the market, about the out of the possible, and help them construct end-stage strategies and a path to get there. Right? So I think the opportunity is um, collaboratively thinking about what the next opportunity or challenge will be in the next 6, 12, 18 months, and how to best contend with that, and creating an infrastructure from a technology perspective that's agile and can adapt the evolving changes of tomorrow. Uh, you know, we're seeing paradigm shifts happen in, in our market um, you know, every six months you know, versus Moore's Law, which is historically on a seven-year cycle. So we're seeing that gap closing. Also, um, helping them think differently about their own markets, right? Um, thinking differently about how they allocate capital, thinking differently about the end user experience they create for their end customers, thinking them differently about their business models. Um, and how they monetize um, their customers in general. So therein lies the opportunity. And when we do that well, um, we create a league of our own because it's a very different conversation. So that's something that drives our thinking on a daily basis. What is that going to look like? How are we going to execute it? And how are we going to enable our organization to execute it at scale? Um, Chris, it's fascinating to hear you say that. And as you're talking about that, I, I shared a little bit about our business and we're a HR tech product and we... Um, have two arms where one is a, we help find and attract candidates and the other arm is where it's screening video interviewing tool. And it's been fascinating um, during an up market where everybody's hiring and there's not enough people, uh, the talent attraction becomes really, really interesting for folks. For a down market where you need to slow down hiring or you need to maybe be, yes, we're still hiring, but we don't mind having a bunch of applications, the vetting process gets more intense and therefore the screening tool picks up, right? And, and, and one of the things we're starting to spend a lot, again, we're, we're in the grand scheme of things, an early stage tech company, but starting to think through our client, our target audience beyond that, but also a reactionary to a potential downturn if there is one and um, what businesses ramp up hiring and downturns, what, you know, hold hiring, but maintain and what totally start to do cuts. And it's been fascinating to put thought cycles into that without obviously spending too much time just just assuming the worst and too much time assuming the best. But it's been really, really interesting to go through that uh, for the first time sort of in my business career. And obviously hearing that's something that you guys think about all the time, obviously a little bit different, but sounds like in, in similar reactionary ways. 
No, absolutely. I think another opportunity and element is, you know, they're, um, you know, I think the employee today has much more optionality, Yeah. Um, you know, particularly in fintech, right? Because uh, the amount of money that has gone into early stage fintechs and the volume of fintechs that have hit the scene today versus five years ago is just exponentially greater. So the demand for talent is at an all time high. Um, so many, cust- many companies struggle with talent acquisition or maintaining strong talent because uh, the, the market is moving at such a pace. Um, and we think about that every day. But one of the things that we've identified is that, you know, there are elements like compensation, uh, there are elements like the ability to succeed, um, you know, mobility within an organization in terms of the ability to do different things and acquire success quickly. All of those things factor in to why an employee will not only go to a company, but stay. Um, but among some of the strongest correlating factors, um, one of them is purpose-driven, um, particularly in this world. Um, when you look at what technology can bring and the experience you can bring, the outcomes we can create as an organization is pretty significant. Didn't exist, you know, five, 10 years ago. Um, and there's a focus on in the, the outcomes and, go, and going back by what impact are you going to have on the world? Hmm whether it's facilitating the ability for a bank to issue um, loans that are linked to social outcomes that allow them to issue those loans at a lower interest rate as a result and unlock capital for their communities. Also ensure that the proceeds of those loans are going into, um, you know, socially conscious programs, whether it's, you know, um, equality and diversity in terms of their hiring practice, whether it's green lending, in terms of where their money's going and how they're actually consuming energy, all of those things. Um, are you unlocking capital to serve underserved communities? Those are the things that get employees of today really, really excited. If they can link the work they do to that level of social outcome, right, and impact, I think that's a stronger binding element than any of the other factors. Now, the other factors have to be strong. Right, in terms of fair compensation, uh, the ability to achieve success quickly, the enablement and the investment that firms give on employees. Um, but that, that purpose-driven mission is something that I think uh, if you get right, you, you create a powerful culture. So one of the things I love is, as kind of you're talking, you've, you've incorporated sort of the purpose and passion, which is obviously the premise of the show. So Chris, obviously you, you've shared a little bit within the context of, of current company and, and the amazing work you're doing. But um, beyond that, for, for you throughout the course of your career, you've always obviously had a drive to see others succeed and uh, a drive to have broader impact. So, you know, for, for, for you, what is, um, you know, if, if, if uh, at your funeral, people said, Chris did blank in my life or impacted me in blank way. What would you want them to say? Um, Chris helped me achieve. Huh. I like that. And that's just achieve at any level. Achieve at any level. That's, that's a good word. I like that a lot. Um, so with, you know, without the, or throughout the course of your, your, your career, what is, uh, uh, what's sort of the, the, the big end game? What's the broader mission? What, what, what do you hope to accomplish? Well, I hope to accomplish, you know, kind of accelerating the pace of the things that, um, the fundamental things that I do, um, helping people achieve at scale um, and helping custom companies that I work with have the impact, uh, not only to their direct customers, but to the communities and with their customers serve. Another element that, that, 
COVID kind of uh, shined a light on was the fact that, you know, our customers aren't necessarily the financial institutions that we serve. If we shift the lens and look at the customers as the end user or the customer of our customers and the communities that they serve, you start thinking very differently about what your mission is and how to deliver innovation in a way that's going to drive real value. Um, so I think fundamentally just just accelerating the pace at which I'm able to do that. Um, it's gratifying to me to touch people um, and to, to enable them to succeed um, at any level. Uh, that's what gets me up in the morning. So I can see myself doing that uh, you know, for as long as I'm on this earth, right? <laughs> Whether it's uh, finishing what I'm doing in fintech and potentially going back to teaching. I love that. It'll be something along that thing. That's amazing. Um, well, Chris, uh, for people that want to follow, you know, follow along with obviously your impact, your mission, your company's mission impact, what's the best way for them to either uh, follow with what you're doing, reach out, whatever that looks like? How, how should they either, uh, you know, look out for more, what you have, more content that you're kicking out or uh, follow along with what you do? Um, well, they're, they're, we're on many social media outlets. You know, um, we've got groups on LinkedIn and, and the other outlets, um, Finastra. Um, you can go to finestra.com and any, everything we do is posted there in a very user-friendly way. Um, so I think that's a good start for those two. I love it. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. Thank you for your impact. And uh, for somebody in the financial world, obviously, it's, it's amazing to hear somebody who's constantly thinking about the end user and the impact the capital can have. So I, I can't thank you enough for your impact and also just being a guest on this podcast. No, thank you. Um, really love the subject. Um, obviously, hopefully most of your constituents are very passionate about it and uh, anything that I can do. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. You got it. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. You just listened to an amazing episode on the Matt Baxter Show. It had nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the guests that I have and the stories that we get to tell and the smack talking we get to have. So if you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes that you've listened to, feel free to su subscribe on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast. Check us out at themattbaxtershow.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at Matt C. Baxter, Twitter, or Facebook as well too. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, whether it's through an email on the website or whether it's through any of the social platforms. I do my best to get back to people as soon as I can. But thank you again for listening. I hope you enjoy. Feel free to send feedback in any way. And don't be afraid to share the Map Action Show. We're very excited to have you as a listener and hope you continue to listen as well. Thanks a ton. Bye-bye. <music>